Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, um, it's good to be with you today. Um, thank you for uh, the worship, Holly and the team, and for Tash for leading us so well around the table this morning. Um, as Tash said, it's great to be with you in this environment as we um, try to take one step closer towards uh, returning and gathering together. Um, as you're well aware, we're coming into August, and it's hard to believe this is the first Sunday of August. And so before I get into what we're going to teach this morning, let me give you just a quick update on behalf of the leadership where we are at with things. Um, we said that we would reassess and review at the end of July, and um, uh, we're there now. <laughs> and uh, as we enter August, we just really sense that for uh, the rest of the summertime, for the rest of August, we should continue to come to you online. Um, it feels like the most sensible thing still to do. There's still um, plenty of preparation um, to get things appropriate and ready for what a return to church would look like on a Sunday. But even more prophetically, I think it's important for you to know that um, we've just sensed as we've sat before the Lord and waited before Him and sought the Scriptures and sat in silence and chatted together, we've sensed an urge just to wait on Him, almost to the extent that um, we were kind of pregnant with something that we were nurturing in the Lord at the moment. And um, to short-circuit the process of nurturing um, would uh, be detrimental to the life that we feel God is calling us to carry at the moment. And so we're just trying to discern that well, and um, it feels like we are just being obedient to the Lord in that. So hopefully you can sense that and know that with us. Um, We are in the auditorium, though, so we're getting closer. We don't want to be passive in our waiting. We're very much underway. The guys have done a brilliant job assessing the building and doing feasibility studies and trying to get things underway. We're obviously back on Wednesday nights. The last two Wednesday nights have just been beautiful to uh, socially distanced uh, worship, uh, but the sound in this place has been just be- beautiful. It's just a real tonic to the soul. So if you can come along, please try and do that as we build an altar onto the Lord and prepare our hearts. Remember, you can access that on a live stream as well if you would rather for the meantime, and please feel very free to do that. And uh, please do know that we are uh, really intentionally looking at plans to re-enter the building or gather people at the very least in September um, around the building here for, for Lurgan. And also when it comes to those of you connected to church in Portadown, we too are thinking around some ideas and thoughts around how we can get together again in September. And uh, we feel quite excited about some of the new things that the Holy Spirit is laying on our hearts. So as we discern all of that, we will uh, inform you more and more as the days and weeks go ahead. Um, We'll try and supplement that too with maybe a picnic or two. We had one in Portadown last week. It was wonderful. Um, I know Lurgan are planning one, and we'll maybe have another one as well, just to try and keep seeing each other in in a responsible way. But for the meantime, we really do want to stick to one service here in the month of August between the two churches. We feel like this has given us a great opportunity to continue to build that sense of unity of a church across uh, the city, because that's what we're called to do. And it's really important, uh, and as I prepared for this morning, I just felt it was really important that the Lord was impressing upon me 
again, to impress upon us as a church, just a reminder of what we've been called to. We've been called to rewrite the story of a city, and I think he wants us to remember that story, the, the prophetic leading, our prophetic narrative, our, our story has been one of tremendous breakthrough amidst difficulty over the years here in Lurgan. And then a number of years ago, we felt the Lord lay on our heart to establish something on, in Portadown. And um, the picture that we had amongst different kind of prophetic images was the picture of the London Tower Bridge, where there was two distinct towers in two distinct places but these two distinct towers were similar and were connected both uh, at the bottom and at the top. And it's so important that we remember our story. And in this unique time where lots has been deconstructed and we're not as focused and busy in what we're building in our own locations, I think the Lord has given us an opportunity to remind us about what we are really called to and what we are called to establish, which is not just one or two big churches, but the rewriting of a story of a city. And I sense the Lord remind me of this verse this week as I was praying. Um, and this is all by way of introduction to where we're going today and over the next few weeks. And it's a, it's a verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. It's speaking about Abraham, and it says, he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Ultimately, we are going to, in heaven one day, live in a city. The story of the Bible is the story of moving from a garden all the way to a heavenly city. Heaven isn't going to be, I don't believe, one long kind of worship service. We're going to live uh, in a worshipful way, in a city, in a civilization, in a city built on the foundations whose architect and builder is God. We won't be in a building, in a church building in those days, I don't believe, we'll be stewarding the flourishing of God's rule and reign over a city and a civilization, a new heaven and a new earth. And so we better get used to it, basically, living and seeing a heavenly city established. And that's what God has called us to be, a colony of heaven on the earth, an outpost of his kingdom in this city of Kurgavan that he has called us in order to bear witness to the rule and reign of God, the one that we will know forever. And so with this in mind, we want to stay on our theme of come back stronger to come back stronger, not just to do ministry in church, as important as that's going to be, and we're going to need everybody serving again, but we're coming back stronger with a vision for the city, with an opportunity, we believe, to rewrite the story of Craigavon, where God has called us to be. And the enemy will want us to circle our wagons and just to think local and just to think about our own little patch, and yet we're called to something bigger, and that's been the wonderful opportunity to do these services together over the summer, a city that's flourishing with life, uh, a city that's flourishing with wholeness, a, a city that's pulsing with the shalom, the, the vibrating with the life of God, flowing through its streets, its institutions, its businesses, its hospitals, its schools. God has called us to this task and to come back stronger. And as we've looked at this theme over the last month, come back stronger, we've looked at four different words. We've looked at listen, pray, wisdom, and, and serve. 
And we feel like those words describe postures that we need to strengthen and adopt uh, our existing posture to in order to come back stronger for what the Lord has for us. And we just want to keep that theme going to the end of August, but use August as an opportunity to focus in on a biblical character who embodied these words in his assignment that God had given him. And the man that we're going to look at is um, Nehemiah and do a little mini study on his life over the next four or five weeks because there's so many points of reference and resonance with Nehemiah's story uh, to the cultural current context that we find ourselves in today. And he too was uh, called to help rewrite the story of a city that uh, in many people's eyes had become a disgrace and he wanted to rebuild it uh, in and under the rule and the reign of God, the architect, the builder of this city. And so I want to just set the scene in the rest of the time that we have this morning to lay a bit of a foundation for where the guys are going to go. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to be speaking about how Nehemiah listened, how he prayed, how he exercised wisdom, and how he mobilized service in order to see this great assignment of rebuilding and rewriting the story of a city fulfilled. And there'll be lots of parallels for us in that. And uh, different church leaders from Lurgan and Portadown will be sharing because that's the point we're doing this together. And so there's many parallels, as I've said. And uh, the background, first of all, for the book of Nehemiah is really important. So if you stick with me this this morning, I'm going to just try and set, set a scene, lay the table, if you like, for the meat that's coming in the week's ahead, and I think uh, the Lord will have some things to say to us even this morning. For those, for those of you who don't know, the book of Nehemiah is set in the context of exile or the return of exile. Now, exile was a theme in the Bible that uh, referred to a unique period in Israel's history. They were the people of God, and their story is charted throughout the Old Testament. And exile tells us of a time where they were sent to live in another land, basically, because of their consistent and constant rebellion and rejection of the ways of God. They had had numerous bad kings who hadn't represented the kingdom of God, Yahweh, who wanted to be their king. And God had warned them this would most likely happen, that if they turned from him, they would have to suffer the consequences of those choices. And even though God gave them multiple chances and choices and continued to woo them and love them, uh, he, he got to the stage as almost of a, an exasperated father who still loved his children, but had to almost allow them to learn the consequences of their choices by allowing them to be taken into another land. And at that stage, the children of Israel were made up of 12 different tribes. Those um, tribes had split. Ten had went to the north and two had went to the south. So we had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, it, um, it was exiled first. It was taken by the Assyrians, who had this brutal policy basically to decimate a people. And they pretty much wiped out the memory, if you like, of or the existence of those ten tribes. A hundred or so approximately years later, then the southern kingdom, which was made up of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, then it also was exiled as Jerusalem was pretty much toppled to the ground, and they were taken, on by, taken over uh, by the Babylonians. And uh, the Babylonians 
um, uh, took the children of Israel to foreign lands, left some of them there, but took um, the best of them really to their lands. And then a number of years later, the Persian Empire overcame the Babylonian Empire. And so the exiled Israelites and Jews at that stage, children of uh, the tribe of Judah, they were absorbed into the Persian Empire. And so all that to say, when we open the book of Nehemiah, that's where we're kind of starting off. Nehemiah is working in the Persian Empire, part of the royal court, as we'll come to see. But before we get to Nehemiah, I want to talk a little bit to you about this theme of exile, because exile was such a brutal place for the children of Israel. It was horrible for them. The state of Israel, the, 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 the kingdom that David and Solomon and others had um, had built and the glory that they could refer back to, that had all gone. The state of Israel in that regard was no more. They had no political might. They had no military might. They had no land. They had no temple. And the thought of Jerusalem, this holy city lying in ruins, was devastating to them as they basically became refugees in a foreign land. The psalm in 137 kind of um, uh, reveals for us the level of uh, devastation that they were feeling and how distraught their emotions were. It's been put to a bit of a catchy tune by the rivers of Babylon. We sat down and wept where we remembered Zion, but it doesn't, the tune doesn't really capture just the sheer, um, the sheer frustration and desperation that the people felt for their current predicament. And so the children of Israel were left with nothing really, only faint memories of their story. they had become slaves of another nation. And it's hard for us to fully grasp this, but I want you to remember that these were the people the, that God had chosen as slaves way back in the story that we read about in Exodus, where God delivered them from an evil regime, took them from being slaves, called them his treasure to possession, set his love upon them, established them as a nation, told them they had an inheritance as a promised land, asked them to reveal his glory to the nations. All of this beautiful stuff that God had done for them. And they had seen elements of that through David and Solomon and parts of the God story to date. They'd lived into elements of their destiny, but ultimately they had rejected that and they'd rebelled and they'd started to worship other gods and follow other pagan practices. And now they have been captured and now the slave people who became kings and priests unto God have now become slave people again in a foreign land. And it seems like at this particular point in the God story that they're, they're, the story is finished. It feels like the plot of the God story is hanging by a thin thread. And by all intensive purposes, in pure historical terms, Israel should have been wiped out. It's a marvel that it survived. By all accounts, she should have been snuffed out, sucked into the vortex of history like all other tribal people groups who have been captured by great empires. But not this people. Because what we find here is that the exile, while in one way it becomes a place where many things die and don't come back, and while it also becomes a place where many people compromise, which the Israelites, some of them did with other nations, and simply kind of acquiesce into their practices and the idolatry of those nations, while that all happened in exile, at the same time, exile became the place for a resurgent faith, for a faith 
and a passion for God and a love for God that came back stronger than what it was when it went into exile. Exile, we read about, became a place where, as horrible as it was, was a place where a group of people chose to not forget the promises of God and lay hold of a greater, superior reality to believe that their original destiny was still not complete, was still not over. (laughs) I remember um, watching... um, Sky Sports News years ago, and they, they used to like do the kind of football analysis after the games, and Ian Dowie, who was um, not the most elegant footballer in his life, but who represented Northern Ireland, and uh, who I cheered on as a boy, and when he was commentating on a game and a team got beat, I think it was him who coined this phrase, bounce back ability, and it kind of caught on that when a team was kind of down and out, and it came back from the jaws of defeat, Uh, They said they had great bounce-back ability. And I suppose that's what we're getting at here, a a, a coming back from a place of what seems like defeat, a coming back stronger. And the place of exile, what we read about in the Scriptures, became that for the children of Israel. But what I want to say is, make make no mistake, the, the time of exile was a humbling experience for the children of Israel. It's a moment and was a moment for them to really take stock. It was a time when many people did just assimilate into the culture around them to get taken up into the narratives of the nations and the world around them and simply just blend in. But then there were those who allowed the humbling process to do to them what it needed to do to them for the purposes of God. They humbled themselves under God's mighty hand and reminded themselves of their story. It's actually thought, interestingly, that in exile, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and probably the book of Kings and maybe even Chronicles, that if not first written, they're certainly edited in the time of exile as this kind of remnant of people who were committing themselves afresh to God reminded themselves of their story and wanted to find fresh confidence to live into their destiny from that. And so exile becomes a place of resurgent faith. Crisis becomes the place of renewed spiritual vigor and passion. It became the place to re-strengthen their muscles, to deepen their hunger, to get spiritually fit again, to remind themselves of who they were really called to be and to find a new spiritual resilience despite not knowing what the future would hold. It was the place where a remnant was truly formed. And this remnant in the midst of enemy-occupied territory in a foreign land that was able to actually stabilize and reestablish the alternative community that Israel was supposed to be. They worked out how to sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land. They, They kept the fire burning even though it felt like a flicker. Even though the tree had been chopped down of Israel, there was a righteous root that remained And they tried to just hold on and strengthen themselves and allow their roots to go deep because one day God was going to transplant that root and put it back in Jerusalem so the purposes of God could continue to be fulfilled. And so I suppose my first point this morning, I've only got two, my first point this morning is there is a divine opportunity for us in the humbling process of where we find ourselves at the moment. 
a divine opportunity in the humbling. Uh, there's nothing like a global pandemic to humble the world. I'm not uh, suggesting any strong kind of judgment of God theories at this particular point. I'm not really into that. What I am just saying is that for all the cleverness and progress that we have been able to see happen as a civilization, as mankind, it's interesting that no matter how sophisticated or how elaborate or how brilliant the global infrastructure that we have built across the world is, it didn't have the resilience to be able to stop something like this happening. We realize that we're not as in control and as powerful as we think we are. And that has resulted for us uh, in, a, in, if you like, a time of exile, where we have been in our own homes, where we have been cut off from people that we love, where we have maybe been cut off from things that we did that shaped our identity and were important to who we are. And I know for many of us that has felt quite isolating and felt quite difficult. And of course, I'm not saying that this has come like because of disobedience necessarily, like it did very clearly for the children of Israel. But what I am saying is I think we would all agree that God is using this time to, to discipline, to prune, to reset, uh, to recalibrate and reform his church. There is an opportunity in the humbling of what we're living for and the exile that has come as a result of that to really engage and know God in a new way. And it's important that we check in with that. I, th I think Phil, at the very start of lockdown, maybe the first message that he gave was about, uh, was about exile and about the prophet Jeremiah speaking to the children of Israel when they were in exile and how he encouraged them in that time to use the time to the best of their ability to seek the peace of God because he knew that maybe one day they could come back stronger. And the thing about it was, there was loads of false prophets that were saying, no, you're going to come back maybe next week. God's going to sort it out really quickly. He's going to deal with the Babylonians. And Jeremiah had to come along and say, no, these prophecies are false. You need to get used to this. You're going to be here for 70 years, actually. And so you need to use the time well. You need to realize that God has not forgotten about you, but he's doing something and forming something in you within these 70 years. So don't short-circuit the process for a quick win that tickles your ears because that's not what the Lord is doing. And today we're living in this moment, maybe more than ever since the lockdown and COVID came our way, that there are many false prophets, some in the name of God and some just spouting out over the internet with all sorts of theories and conspiracies about what we're supposed to do. And everyone's an expert, it would seem now. And I understand that there's confusion. But God is doing something in the midst of this time, and we want to hear him as a church and as individuals. And so while we don't think this is going to be around forever, and we don't want to be riddled by fear, what we do want to do is listen to the voice of God to be in the middle of whatever he is doing with us in the waiting in these moments, and in the humbling of these moments, so that we can be deeply formed into the people that he's calling us to be. Of course, we're going to be preparing and gathering for coming back, but we want to hear the Lord. We don't want to short-circuit the process of what He's doing in us just to get back to what we want. We want Him to reform and do in us what needs to be done. And I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe you've experienced this in your personal life at some stage in life. I know for me, when I look back at my life, the, the times that I encountered God in the most profound ways, that I was deeply shaped and formed, 
that have made me the person that I am today have come when circumstances have been in my life that haven't been normal, when I've been thrust into times of confusion or grief or loss or disorientation. Those have been the times where I've met God in ways that I couldn't have in the normal run-of-the-mill kind of day. And what happens in these moments is stuff gets deconstructed in our lives, like the walls of the city of Jerusalem had been. And even things get deconstructed in our understanding of God because we thought He would have come through for us. He would have answered that prayer or things would have happened differently. And yet we hang on and we wrestle and we hold on and we cry out to God and we, we, we remember our story and we remember our faithfulness and we stand on the promise like the children of Israel in exile did. And we push through and we emerge with a faith that's more true and more genuine and more real. A faith that's been forged in the crucible of suffering and pain to find and to glean a knowledge and experience of God that we couldn't have had if we hadn't have gone through it. This is the story of God. This is the story of the people of the Bible because it's our knowledge of God that He wants more than anything else. And that's what the prophets have been saying to the children of Israel. This is what you've lost. You've lost your knowledge of God. He always wanted to know you, but now you're prostituting yourself with other gods and other nations. And it was in exile that they got to know God again. They got to know Him in a deep and intimate way. This is what the children of Israel have lost, and this is what the church in the Western world has lost, a knowledge of God, a powerlessness and a presencelessness. And God is calling us beyond the form of church to know Him in these days. God is doing something that we don't want to miss. And, and we, we feel before we want to return to church, we want to return to the Lord. We want to return to His presence. Like the prophet of old would say, come, let us return unto the Lord. It's interesting when you read the first verse of Nehemiah chapter 1, it tells us that um, it was in the 20th year. <laughs> I only noticed this actually even just this morning. And uh, we have felt that 2020, the 20th year of the century, has been important. In fact, we were just reminded this week that Chris found um, his journal from 2019, which he hadn't lifted. And near the end of 2019, he just remembered writing this. And we uh, shared it on Wednesday night. And it's quite powerful. This is what it said. 2020 will be a year of re, as in R-E, Reposition, realignment, renewal, re-envisioning, repent, and return. Come, let us return unto the Lord. The re-things that precede the revival and the return of the Lord. God is not attracted to renewed vision as much as He is attracted to renewed hearts. But when the two things combine, He pours His grace and His favors on our little efforts and infuses them with Himself. 2020 vision is important because of vision, heart alignment, not because of the date. And uh, that was written at the end of 2019 with no idea of what would happen in the world. And the call to us in this time of exile as individuals, as a church, come, let us return unto the Lord. Let him shape and form a remnant amongst us. And so I want to ask you very personally, what about what about you? If you're going to come back stronger, you're, you're going to have to come back deeper. And, and what I want to ask you is, what, what's been the result of your time of exile? Have you kind of blended in with the other cultures? Just like, you know, compromised so that you could kind of 
find some place to exist in the, in, in the new normal amongst the kind of narrative of the world? Or, or, or have you went deep? Have you, have you set yourself apart? Because there's still time to do that if you haven't. There's still time to set yourself apart, to go deep into the Lord, to allow exile to be the place of resurgent faith, to allow the crisis to be the place of renewed hunger for the Lord. And that personal kind of call leads me to the second and final point I want to leave with you today. There is a divine opportunity in the humbling point one, but there is a divine destiny in the reconstruction for each of us individually. And this is where we get in to just the first few verses of Nehemiah. The thing about Nehemiah was he'd actually done quite well in exile. He'd done well in Persia. He was cupbearer to the king. He was obviously very capable. He, uh, he was actually one of the ones, as I said, that have done okay. Some have, some, some have done okay through COVID. Some of us have, you know, prospered through COVID. Some of us have, have done okay. A bit like Nehemiah did in exile. His gifts and his capabilities and his influence and maybe his ability to adapt has got him into the upper echelons of the royal court. He's got the ear of the king. And he's probably got ple- quite a pleasurable lifestyle. Maybe one that everybody else would have envied. The thing about it is that's also good to know is that the exiles returned not in one big massive parade. It's not what you would expect. When God, uh, through Cyrus, did allow the, uh, who was the emperor of Persia, when he did allow the Jews to go home again, back, it, it, it sort of happened in stages. Not everybody actually wanted to go back. Uh, the Bible sort of charts three main returns from exile, but it was kind of pretty underwhelming, if we're being honest. It was staged over years to it. wasn't like the flick of a switch, and then everything went back to this kind of normal, and they all knew who they were, and Jerusalem flourished again. It, it actually wasn't like that at all. It was a bit of an anticlimax. And uh, in fact, things would never really be the same again. And, um, and, and what happened was, because things were never really the same again, and it didn't live up to the hopes that it once had, an expectation started to rise amongst the people for a deliverer, for someone to come. And um, this is what we call Messiah expectation. But I find, it interesting, I find it an interesting parallel because COVID isn't going away in one moment. It's not like one day and everything's different and we're back to normal. In fact, it's a new normal. It's not really going to be the same. And people are going back in different stages. And it kind of, we're kind of, it's quite disorientating to know where we find ourselves in this new space. Is it over? Is it not over? Is there a second wave or not? Da, da, da. We're, we're caught in this world at the moment. And, and, and we have to try and find our place in it. And Nehemiah probably isn't really for returning. Why should he? He's kind of working in the royal court. That's a good gig. But it's, he's more prosperous than he's probably ever been. He, and yet the new nor, normal for him, which is more comfortable in one way, doesn't seem to fully sit right with him. You get the impression as you open these pages of Nehemiah that he's beginning to feel pricked by the Spirit a little bit around, there's something more for you. Is this really what the purpose of your life and the destiny for your life is? And so Nehemiah gets curious and he asks for a report about how's it going back in Jerusalem? And it tells us this in chapter 1, verse 1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, there it goes, 
while I was in the citadel of Susal, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned him about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah hears that those who have returned are in trouble and disgrace and that the walls are broken down, and it moves his heart. Verse 4 tells us, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah begins to realize he's done well, but then he begins to realize not everybody else has. And if he is just to stay in his place of comfort, in his place of prosperity, he's not going to come truly alive because the comfort of the royal court and the comfort of the status and prestige that he enjoys there doesn't allow him to truly fulfill his destiny as a man called to comfort the people of God. It seems like the burden of God has been thrust in Nehemiah's soul and he has to act. Something deep inside him has been aroused. And even though in the natural he might want to stay, he realizes he has to do something. It reminds me of a quote from the great kind of poet and writer, Frederick Buchner. And he says this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place of calling, in other words, is where the unique talents that God has given you that make you feel glad when you can use them and contribute is when that meets the pain and brokenness in the world and brings something of the love of God to those places. And this is what Nehemiah had, this is what Nehemiah did. He was capable. He had influence. He had gifts that could have done well for himself if he'd stayed in Persia but he knew he wasn't fully alive unless the gifts that God had given him was contributing something to the pain and to the brokenness of the world's deep hunger. And throughout COVID, we've all had time to reflect. We've all had time to feel and um, to, to think about what God is calling us to. And I feel really strongly this morning that God, in these days of August, as we get ready to come back stronger, that God is really speaking to some of us about our calling. There's a sense in which the nest is being stirred up. There's a, a, a holy discomfort in this whole process where God is looking to shake some of us out of our places of comfort through this period of exile in order to step into a whole new level of giving our lives away for the sake of the world of taking the unique gifts that God has given us, the things that make us deeply glad and putting them in a place where we can meet the deep hunger of the world, to use the gifts and influence and ability that we have for the sake of the city in order to see it transformed. The great thing, you know, about Nehemiah was he wasn't a pastor. He was probably something like a civil engineer, architect, project manager. And his leadership not the pastors, although he worked alongside Ezra, who kind of was, and that's a whole other sermon. But the point is that Nehemiah's role in the public square and the leadership that he showed helped transform the future of Jerusalem and became the place where the story and the purposes of God get back on track. 
he begins to get a vision for rebuilding the city. And he basically gives the city its political and administrative reform and infrastructure. He provides a civilization that will flourish with life. You know, the thing about it, as I bring this to a close, is Nehemiah's name means Yahweh comforted. Isn't that just beautiful? His name means Yahweh comforted. In living into this calling of God, to this unsettling of the spirit, not to settle for comfort, but to go and help in his own unique way the brokenness of the city that he knew so well. In doing that and in responding to that call, he was living into his original destiny. His name, his destiny was Yahweh comforted. He couldn't escape it. He could choose not to have if he had wanted to, but it was so strong inside him. And I just really sense to exhort us all this morning as a church that, well, as we hear the report of the city, as we, as we allow the Lord to bring to us the report of the city, there are kids in our city that are lonely tonight. There are teenagers that don't really know themselves after what they've been through, through COVID. There are increased levels of poverty. There is all sorts of issues around mental health and suicide. As we, as we think about our city, and there's a report of our city and what's going on in it, and the brokenness as, as we allow that to come to us, the Lord will fill us with a sense of joy, because that's right in the middle of Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord will be her strength because he will give us his heart to bring life in all of our unique ways to the city. And so as we hear the report of our city, let's also remember that God is the architect and the designer of a city whose foundations are built on his character. And let's remember that this is why we are called to come back stronger. We are called to come back stronger so that these two towers in this city can help establish strongholds that will be connected both in the spirit and in the natural, top and bottom, so that we can see the rewriting of a city, that we might not be a reproach, but that we might see glimpses of what the city of heaven, which we'll live in forever, is going to be like. So that is why we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we don't just need pastors. We do need pastors, but we don't need just pastors. We need teachers. We need moms and dads. We need people that work in our aisles in Tesco's. We need uh, businessmen. We need architects. We need nurses. We need doctors. We need media people. We need all of us in all our unique individual ways stepping up to be a part of the reconstruction of the city that God wants us to give our lives to see and flourish so that he can have the glory and that the world can see what he has always intended for it. The world needs an encounter with Jesus. And so as we prepare to leave the place of exile, as we think about returning to life post-COVID, whatever that means, it's probably not going to happen like the exile, the return to exile didn't in one go. We're all finding our way in different waves back into life. And yet God has called us to allow the process of exile to humble us in the right ways so that we can become a true, loving, wholehearted people of God. And also that each one of us individually can rediscover our divine destiny to be part of the reconstruction of what God wants to do so he can transplant what he's done in exile into the city, multiply what he's done in our hearts right throughout the city 
so that we can all say, like they could say every year, he was seeking a city whose foundation wasn't God, the architect and builder of which is the king of kings himself. So let's learn about the person of Nehemiah in the weeks ahead as we seek to do just that, rewrite the story of a city. God bless you today. If you'd like us to pray for you in any way, we'd love to do that. Please see the number going up on the screen after this service, and we'd love to connect you. Bless you and have a great day. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.